Before you get started, and I know and you're going to kick off the learning today, um, I do want to dedicate our learning uh, to my father, Michael Osban, Melch Gershon Chana ben Eliezer Vachasia Hesha, whose yurt site I am observing today. I know that I mention my father often uh, in this podcast, um, and that's because he really instilled with me a great love of learning and of Talmud. Um, and much of my Torah, I always say, is really a tribute to him. Uh, so please let us all have him in mind today as we learn together. Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yoma, daf Kaf Tet, page 29. So, our daf begins, it's rather interesting. We've got a whole lot of, I would call them wise statements, pithy, wise statements. They remind me of statements uh, that we might find in books of wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs, Mishle, and so on. But what we have here, together with those, you know, these wise statements, as we'll see in a moment, is something that is particular to the Gemara, namely mnemonics that seem to be placed there so that any anybody who's remembering this text of the Gemara, right, that they would memorize the text and they would be the ones to come and recite it, they would be able to keep it, uh, you know, clear in their head what, what they were supposed to be remembering. So the first statement, I think, is worthy of its own long discussion, which we will not do. The thoughts of transgressing, of doing a sin, are worse than the sin itself. Now, this, of course, is the subject of a lot of commentary. Uh, you know, the question is, are we talking about licentiousness? Are we talking about a plan to do a sin, any sin, right? And and then, of course, the big question is, why is planning a sin worse than the sin itself? Um, which, you know, I, I would say that there's a number of different ways we can think about this, and some people will reject that claim, right, and say, no, the act, you know, doing the act of a sin is much worse than thinking about it, because thinking about it, you haven't actually done anything to be culpable for. And somebody else will say, well, but you've put your whole being into thinking and planning towards the sin. But what's interesting here, or maybe that in itself is interesting, I do think so, v'simanech recha de bistra. So the mnemonic is recha de bistra, the odor, the smell of meat. Namely, the smell, now this is, how is this a mnemonic, right? How are you going to remember that the smell of meat is connected to the fact that the the claim that the thinking about the sin is a harder thing, a worse transgression is is worse than the transgression itself. So the claim here is that the smell of roasting meat is a, a yummier smell. It's more appetizing than if you actually eat the meat. And that I think is often true, right? Where the smell um kind of defies our expectations. And then you come and you, you actually get the food and you're like, eh, all right, that's fine. Right. But the smell was really would really whet your appetite. So here you ha- you don't have to remember you just have to remember and then transfer it. I I will say, you know, honestly here, and you'll see it going through, it is not entirely clear to me why these mnemonics were necessary. I think they're poetic. I think that they are clever. I'm not sure that the thing that they're designed to help you remember is so complicated that you need the mnemonic. There are other places where we see there's a siman, where there's a you know, a list of five things and you have a word, you know, that will be your mnemonic to help you remember what the word is. You know, we, we all have these. We have them from biology class and from math class and the orders of operation of mathematics, meaning there are times when having a mnemonic is a very helpful thing. In these cases, I, I have yet 
to understand why they were absolutely necessary. So the Gemara continues, Shilhi Tikaita Kasha Mikaita. So the Gemara says, the end of the summer is more oppressive. It's a hotter, less pleasant thing than the rest of the summer, meaning the end of it is worse. Vasimanech, Tanura Shigira, the oven um, is a heated oven. Tanura is heated and Shigira is going to be heated. Now, why is the claim that the end of the summer worse? or hotter than the rest of the summer, akin to a heated oven, because the claim is, right, that your oven, once it's heated, then you come to use it again, you come to use it again. Once it's been in the status of being hot, it will be that that much quicker to heat, and it will get that much hotter. Meaning, by the end of the summer, the, the weather, the world, is accustomed to being hot, and it ends up actually being hotter, uh, you know, than it has been all the way along. Now, that's an interesting thing also, because I think sometimes we find that, the first at the first shift of the weather, right? So it's refreshing to have the day be warm when it's been cold, 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 cold. And the reverse is true as well, right? When it's been very hot and then suddenly you shift into warm, into cool. So then it's it's very refreshing, but and you feel cold at a temperature that once it really becomes cold, that same temperature would leave you warm. So this I think is also like it's a it's a wise statement, like the the idea that the end of the summer, by the end of the summer, you're done with it. You don't want it to be hot anymore. Ishta desitva kasha midikaita. So now a fever in the winter is worse or more a stronger fever than a fever in the summer. And the namanakir Vasimanech Tanura Karira. A cold oven. Why a cold oven? Because if you have a cold oven, then you need more heat to heat up the cold oven than you need heat to heat up a hot oven. Meaning, did I say this right? Um, so that a fever that succeeds, so that in the winter when it's cold, right, it's cold outside, and if you can get a, you get a fever that's going to heat you up to be that much hotter, then um, it's working that the fever is working that much hot, harder. This is not biological, right? Then the fever is working that much harder and it is a stronger fever than the same thing in the summer where your body temperature would not fluctuate to the same degree. Um, and then lastly, uh, relearning Mi'gmar, right? Reviewing and re- relearning old material, meaning something that you knew and then you forgot, is a harder thing than learning new material. This is somewhat counterintuitive, I think. Um, and but the mnemonic here helps a little bit. Tina Bartina, mortar from mortar, meaning it's harder to take mortar, right? That's, you can then crush and mix a new mortar than it is to just start fr- from the beginning, start from nothing, and mix a new mortar. And I think that this is something that, on the one hand, is counterintuitive to say that learning something fresh is going to be easier than learning something that you've already learned. On the other hand, because you've already learned it, you've kind of forgotten it, you're kind of hazy on it, you're not fresh with it, then I think it's not crazy to say that, yeah, it's easier to have something, you know, you start with a blank slate and you just give yourself or you learn the new information and you go from there. There's something easier about that than having to kind of rehash and recraft uh, whatever information you had learned and then kind of forgotten or mixed up or whatever. And it goes with, you know, another saying, which is always, you know, it's so much harder to unlearn material. Like if you learn it wrong and you have to unlearn it to relearn it fresh. So that's exactly uh, parallel to this, to this case. Um, and so that's it. Meaning it's just these, 
two little sections at the very beginning of the daf, which have these, I think, you know, on the one hand, wise little statements, and on the other hand, mnemonics that I'm not sure why we need them, but the mnemonics themselves kind of help illustrate the truth, such as it is of the statements themselves. Again, I don't mean biological truth. You know, I'm not talking about a fever from a scientific point of view, just the experience of it. So I, I think the term mnemonic is a little bit what's throwing us off here, because these are not really what we would call a mnemonic. It's more, it's giving us a kind of like a pithy statement that illustrates something for us about how the world works. So if you remember that principle, right, it's almost like memorizing a scientific principle. So if you remember that principle, you'll understand a lot more about how the world functions around you. Okay, I hear that. Um, I think but I, when but I, I have to also do a edge. double take, like I read that section a few times, I'm like, what's the mnemonic? <laughs> well, that's the thing they say, simanech, right? I mean, siman, so very often, that's what I say, like very often it's like Rashi Tevot and you could rattle them off and now you've got, or you've got a word that if you put each letter to something else, you have a, you have a real, a real mnemonic, like the way you would study. I don't know. Right. What. But this I think again, body. remember, this is before printing press. This is before people, everybody had books. So these were like easy ways, easing, you know, sentences. Like we have these types of, you know, uh, I can't think of one now, but, you know, these types of sayings that sort of just help you remember things about how the, the world works, you know? Spring forward, fall back, like that. Exactly. Like that, that's exactly what I think it is. Although every year when we change the clocks, I have to be like, which one is it? But yes. Right. Like, but but exactly. so I think that's why. I think that's why. If you could remember, it's a hot oven, it's a cold oven, whatever it's going to be, then then it helps you remember which way is it again? I think that's what they're doing. That's exactly. why. Yes. I, We're in a that, that's what they're doing here. Um, I'm going to move on to an interesting little tangent that they take. There's always interesting tangents, which is about Esther. I'm going to skip the first part, which, you know, says something a little sexually bizarre about Esther. It's these types of uh, statements that I think certainly as women reading this, you're just like, why? Why did you have to put this here? I'll let everyone <laughs> read that later. Um, and I guess I'm just a little bit, I am blindly saying, because I know I'm going to have a couple of co-learners who are like, how didn't you deal with that? I have nothing good to say about it. It bothers me that it's on the dot. So I'm just going to move on to the second half of that statement. I'm a Rabbi Yassi. Rabbi Yassi says, So why do they compare Esther to the dawn? So it's to tell you that just as the dawn is the conclusion of the night, Esther was the conclusion of sort of all the miracles that would ever happen for the Jewish people. Now, the Gemara then wants to understand, well, what exactly does that mean? Is that in a particular time period? Is that for all time? Mashiach is not mentioned. What exactly does that mean? And so the Gemara starts with an interesting question. Baha Eka Hanukkah. What about Hanukkah? Because we know Hanukkah came, took place after Esther, and that also was a miracle. When um, it says, Nitnalichtov Ka Amrinan. So it's saying, no, what it's talking about is miracles that you were allowed to write about. In other words, that were going to basically be included in Tanakh. So the story of Esther, right? Megillat Esther is included in Tanakh, but the story of Hanukkah is not included in Tanakh. So this makes sense according to the person who says Esther, right? is part of the Bible, basically. But according to the one who says that Esther was not really part of the Bible, and again, this is very interesting, and we will see multiple Gemaras where this gets brought up. We'll see this in Megillah and a few other ones. 
where there's a discussion of what is actually part of the canon. And there is a machlokas about whether or not Esther should be part of the canon. So they're saying that this opinion has to be one of somebody who holds that Esther is part of the canon. But the opinion that says that Esther, that Megillah Esther is not part of the canon. So what does this mean? How could Esther be part of Shachar? And again, I were likened to the dawn. And I always love these types of questions because on the one hand, the Gemara is admitting there's two different approaches to something. But on the other hand, they still want consistency. And so they have this one opinion that says Esther was like the dawn and they want it to fit with all opinions. So like at the one time, we have multiple opinions about Megillah Esther, but at the same time, we want everyone to agree that Esther is like the Shachar, Esther is like the dawn. So the Gemara goes to explain following, right? That yes, it's not that Perm was the end of all miracles, right? And for the person who's basically gonna, who has this opinion, that Megillat Esther was not really allowed to be written. Mokim like Rabbi Binyamin by Yefed. All right, Amar Rabbi Eliezer. So he basically is going to sort of have a, um, uh, he's going to agree with the statement of Rabbi Binyamin bar Yefed, who said like Rabbi Eliezer. And what Elazar, uh, and what was it? To Amar Rabbi Binyamin bar Yefed, Amar Rabbi Eliezer, Lama Nishimlu Tfilatan Shel Tzadikin Ka'ayelet. Why are the prayers of a righteous likened to a hind, to this, to, to an ayelet, right? Right? That when, um, that when um, the English I have in front of me keeps calling it this animal a hind, but what's the correct word, Anne, that I'm looking for? What, like a deer? A deer, thank you. Oh my God. So like, just like a deer's antlers grow, right? Okay. Right, as long as it grows, the the, the antlers sort of continue to branch out. Right, so too the 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 righteous, right? As as long as they're engaged in more prayer, their prayer is going to continue to be heard. So this is basically saying, like, how is she like an ayala? And I think this is the connection to the shachar because they're thinking about ayala hashachar, like the I think it's a play on words there that that's where she's like the dunk. So if she's like an Ayala, that's how she's like an Ayala Hashachar, right? She's like the pre-dawn star. And so according to the ones who are going to say no, they don't hold that she is like, you know, the dawn in terms of that she was the dawn following the night of all the miracles. It's more giving a description of she is an Ayala based on, uh, you know, and I guess that gets into Ayala Hashachar, like that she is, you know, the types of prayers that 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 is what she was like, um, that sort of her her righteousness, her prayers sort of were were spread out. And that's what she was like. I, that's the only way that I can understand this Gemara. But I think there's a few interesting things at play here. One is just seeing a discussion all together about, you know, Purim versus Hanukkah. A second piece of whether or not Megillah Esther is actually part of Tanakh. Um, the third piece of like, why is it so important to them to make this statement about Esther being like a shachar, you know, being like the dawn, that it has to fit according to every opinion? Um, and, you know, I just think it's, it's this is kind of like a totally bizarre tangent that they get on, uh, typical of the Gemara itself. But I think it also shows you, you know, some of the complicated pieces that were involved, that not everybody felt Megillah Esther was really supposed to be part of Tanakh but also the Gemara commenting on that they do have this equation. They understand how Purim and Hanukkah are very similar to each other. As a total aside, I just want to note that there are, Ayala Hashachar has become a name 
right? That I, I know at least two or three, maybe four people named Ayelet HaShachar because of this, right? Where maybe they're named after somebody named Esther. And so they gave, you know, now a child, they gave the name Ayelet HaShachar. That, that has been on a short list for us of children's names before. <laughs> there you I go. I love that name. <laughs> so, but that's a thing, right? Like meaning this meaning you know, it's but we start with all these questions about the connection, and and then everyone's like, "Oh yeah, well, of course." You know, there's something very uh, pleasing about it. Yeah, and um, you know, look, and again, getting back to that first part of the Gemara, I, I, yeah, I sorry, have, I, I I'm have, sorry, I know that was a tangent. I know, I just don't have anything good to say about it. I, I, I guess I'm putting it out there, like if any learner has anything interesting to say about it let me know about this whole thing about Achashverosh and, and what Esther was built like um but you know I, I I these are always problematic passages to me and you know maybe it's okay to sit with like yeah that's a little distasteful and I don't really like that it's there I mean I think also let's be real this certain aspect of the Megillah at the beginning right the beauty context and the ha- contest and the harem and the six months of preparation and so on like it's not the way we think you know, it's not what we think of how relationships should be. It's not, you know, it is very um, object objectifying, right? I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that is, right, that, is, that is definitely part of um, part of the Megillah. And I think it tends to be a little bit of a part that I think we sort of gloss over a little bit. Right. All I'm trying to say is that it's the Gemara is in line with the Megillah. So the fact that Chazal saw fit to speak about the Megillah in quite this frank of a way is a little distasteful, as you say. The Megillah itself in this particular aspect of it is, you know, surprisingly um, well, again, it runs counter to our sensibilities. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. And I think, again, like I said before, I think it's a piece that we tend to ignore a little bit. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.